it's amazing to compare an Atlanta to a New York to a Cincinnati to an Austin to a Montreal. These are all incredibly different places. But for us to be successful, we have to carve out what is the right way to lean into what makes that city special? What are some of the cultural sensibilities that might exist in that city to create a team that is very, very different from the other sports teams in town? I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I have a fun discussion here from the halls of Brandemonium Conference as we sit down with David Bruce after his uh, keynote he just gave on the world of MLS and how they're driving culture. So, David, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Exciting. So I want to start just talking about your role. Uh, at the MLS, you're the SVP of brand and marketing. What falls under that scope? Yeah, great question. So um, I'm essentially in charge of understanding how MLS lives in the world. So what makes us distinct, what makes us different, how we find the white space to operate in, really some of the traditional kind of brand strategy stuff that you might, that you might see in organizations. So really distilling what is at the core of MLS. And then how do we then take that to market through all kinds of things that traditional marketing takes care of and consumers care about? So the identity of the league, the campaign, big events. Obviously, sports in the U.S. has a regular season, but it has all these spikes. So we have these big events. They're all crafted. They all have uh, their own sense of brand underneath them. I oversee the creative group as a result. I put our message into the world as well. So whether it's earned media, whether it's paid media, we control a lot of inventory, obviously our stadiums, our clubs, uh, network partners, institutional media, things like that. So that's all that's all falling in my world. And the area which has been growing a lot in the last few years, it's around club brands. And we've grown at an incredible rate. Only this morning at Brandemonium, I was talking about how in 2001 we were at, um, we were at 10 clubs and now 2019, we're at 24. All those clubs need branding. So we provide a service to our clubs, to our owners, whereby we will work with them in whatever way they, they see fit to help create the best possible brand to take advantage of the opportunity that they have in that marketplace. So given we've, uh, the commissioner's gone on record to say we want to go to 30 clubs, there's a lot of work coming up in that space. So it's, it's exciting times. So talking about that growth from 10 to 24 and so, soon to 30, you're leading one of the newest professional sports leagues yep. uh, here in the U.S., going against some more established leagues like the NFL and MLB and NBA. How have you thought about carving out that unique niche of who MLS is in the landscape of professional sports in America? Totally. So we, we, we like to say uh, we are the league for a new North America, America and a Canada that is changing at a, at a rapid rate. Uh, psychographically, demographically, it's getting younger, it's getting more Latino. The way that it looks at the world, it, it has had a really global outlook. Uh, and we believe we are a league that's really kind of fit for purpose as it relates to just the world we're growing up in. And I think that's a really powerful thought because when we take that to the local marketplaces and we think about the cultures and the subcultures that exist across the US and Canada, it's amazing to compare an Atlanta to a New York, to a Cincinnati, to an Austin, to a Montreal. These are all incredibly different places. But for us to be successful, we have to carve out what is the right way to lean into what makes that city special? What are some of the cultural sensibilities that might exist in that city to create a team that is very, very different from the other sports teams in town? Because we exist in an incredibly competitive category. 
sports and entertainment because we're not just competing with traditional sports. It's entertainment. It's, it's, it's people's time. We need to find the white space to operate in that's going to speak to consumers in a different way. So we will often look at like, you know, what are the other leagues doing? What's the total opposite of that? At least to put us in a place to think whether we come back more into the middle, it's fine. We'll still be feeling very different. And as long as that is true to the core of the team, it gives us a really interesting reference point to drive creativity and to drive thinking at the league office, but also at the local level at the clubs. So I want to double click on that multicultural aspect mm. because that's a really unique thing that you guys have embraced. Down to you had a creative TV spot that kicked off this season that, you know, it's standard in the brand world. You do your English spot, you yeah. do your Spanish spot, but you guys did it into French Canadian, you did it into Spanglish. Yeah. How do you think about that and how was that received? Yeah, it's one of the, one of the driving themes we have internally is this idea of cultural cultural fluidity or being culturally fluid. And that's a powerful sensibility for us because we know young people who are coming up in the world, especially those who are from different countries, second, third, fourth gen, who identify with what's going on in the cities and the country at large. They consume brands in many, many different languages. They talk to friends in many, many different languages. So as a brand that wants to reflect its consumer base, we want to speak in their voice. So whether we are talking in Spanglish, because that's going to serve our Univision audience and those who are traditionally Spanish speakers, or whether it's it's doing a French-Canadian version because we have uh, our, our partners TVR up in Canada. That's really important for us because it speaks to it speaks to modern America, it speaks to modern Canada. And I think one of the great reference points here is uh, on Univision. Our program on Univision is called MLS Soccer Saturday in English. It is the only program on Univision that is in English. Hmm. And, and that is done because we know it's a younger audience watching our game. We know it's a younger audience interested in MLS, and they are equally as comfortable in the English language as they are in the Spanish language. Hence, Spanglish and some other interesting things we're doing there. So this idea of smashing cultures together, this idea of being culturally fluid is a really important kind of driver for us and just how we think about the world at large. So, you know, recent episodes I've had, you know, the heads of marketing for NHL and uh, NFL and some others, and they all talk about their need to expand globally as their leagues. You, on the flip side, have a global game that you're bringing to America. And one of the things I just loved in your presentation is you talked about this definition of our soccer and how you're defining this, the global game for North America. What are the components of our soccer and how'd you get to that kind of viewpoint? So it's a, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating thing for us to think about when we unpack the game, because you're right, Dave, we are part of this global sport. It's the most simple sport to play. You just need a ball and you don't even need another person as long as you've got a wall. And it is, it, it is the most, it is the game played around the world. So for us to plug into that is really important because it, it gives us authenticity. It gives us validity but we have to find our version of the global game. And that's what's really important because for a long time, we didn't find our version of the global game. We were just trying to be like, you know, the Premier League or um, the Mexican League or the Spanish League. We weren't finding what is unique about the cities and the countries within which we operate and finding our dialect for the global game. So the, I have an analogy to kind of best explain this, and sorry for any listeners who might be a vegan or a vegetarian, but chickens, I think, is a good example of this because if you go around the world, you can generally get a chicken dish, and that chicken dish is generally flavoured regionally. You may go to Portugal and you may have some wonderful peri-peri chicken, and you may go to India and it's been sitting in a tandoor for 12 hours and it's 
this beautiful buttery chicken. You may come to the US and some buttermilk on it and you fry the hell out of it or whatever you like to do. The point is you can go to these different countries and through this dish, you can feel the regional flavors come to life. That's what we have to do here. We have to create our regional version of the global game. Part of one of the reasons why it's called soccer. You know, it's part of one of the reasons why we have playoffs. That is unique to this part of the world. There are rituals and traditions that only happen in North American soccer, the march to the match, the T4 culture, the songs and chants that you'll only hear in MLS stadiums, you won't hear necessarily around the world. Um, some, some kind of micro rituals like the Golden Spike in Atlanta or Timber Joy sawing off a log, only happening in our version of the global game. And that's really where our soccer came from. It's a proud declaration around, we've created our version that is proudly leaning into all the cultural reference points that exist in the markets that we operate. And we take advantage of that because I just got back from um, I just got back from a honeymoon. My wife and I, Amy, we went to um, Africa on safari. And there were two things that every person, every African person was interested in. It was Premier League soccer. Everyone had a soccer team. And the second one was American pop culture. The world knows American pop culture. So why should we as a league not reference that in the brands that we build? Because if we do that, we're going to be incredibly successful because the world knows L.A., New York, Chicago, Boston, Nashville, Austin. If we do a job there and we create brands that are relevant, that speak to the market in a way that young people care about, we will ultimately become a global property. But we're very much focused on taking that sensibility and driving that domestically because there's still a lot of work to be done there. So speaking about that, you uh, you referenced the 24th city, which is FC Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, my, my favorite club, obviously. <laughs> And you talked about that expansion from 24 to 30, and you help with the branding of the clubs and all of that. You have a really distinct identity that is created around each city, and what you're doing with Atlanta is different than Nashville, which is different than Cincinnati. How do you think about tapping into that when you look at a new city and you look at the clubs launching in the coming years? Of How do you help them build that unique identity for a city while maintaining the continuity to the league? Yeah, it's... Um... It's something we think about a lot. It's something we've had a good amount of experience on because of the expansion that we've been going through, almost that golden period. It all starts with strategy. It all starts with sense of purpose. It all starts with understanding who you are and why anyone would even care about you. And if you don't have that, you don't have any reference point to name a team, to build an identity, to build a creative system, to build a campaign around, the thing that I always say is the most important part of my job is we just remove subjectivity out of the equation of branding because it is the most subjective thing on the planet. I like that logo. I like that name. You know, I like that piece of music. That makes sense. That doesn't make sense. If we do the strategy right, we, we lay objective criteria behind that a club can then use as a checkpoint for building an internal culture for creating a sense of who it is and a way to deliver that to the marketplace every single day. And if we do that, it's very easy then to start to understand, well, how do we think about a name with that strategy in mind? And then how do we think about an identity that then brings that to life? But I think in sports, it's too often just about, let's create nice creative, let's create nice graphics, but that has to reflect who you are. And if the brand isn't lived and breathed internally in the right way, it doesn't matter what your identity looks like because it's just it's not going to help grow the scale, the reach, uh, allow that club to be successful in the marketplace. 
talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So one of the things really unique about that expansion to city is the organic nature of these supporter groups that come up. And they're the ones that oftentimes create these rituals that have become so important to a club. How do you support that kind of grassroots embrace of a fan, keep it authentic, but also keep it somewhat controlled so it doesn't get out of bounds of what you want MLS to be? Yeah, it's a real fine balancing act. So our supporter groups are self-organized. They come together around a common set of values and, and desires around supporting a soccer team. They're strength in numbers and they're incredibly creative and they want to create and they want to have a voice in all of this. So for us, it's about how do we create a relationship whereby we do give fans a voice so that they can celebrate their creativity. And I think we do have, you know, the most creative fans in all of sports. How do we create a world whereby they have a relationship with the clubs and it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a relationship thing. So our supporters groups meet with their um, counterparts at the clubs every two, every four weeks to talk about a range of things that are going on around that particular around that particular team. And then they take that forward into the game environment. So our fans do amazing things like TIFOs, which is from an Italian word for, for banners and for flags. And they create these TIFOs that cover a whole end of the stadium and have a topical message to that particular team that is reflective of a, of a point in time and reflective of a, a message they want to give to the community. And that is all self-organized, self-created. So fans will go off and they'll get in a warehouse and it's all self-financed as well. They're incredibly independent in that respect, but they need to put these up hours and hours before the game. So they have to have a good relationship with the clubs. Clubs open the doors four or five hours before kick. Fans go in, they put the T4 up. The fans also want to um, create a really authentic, organic experience. So for them, it's about they, they don't need a clap on to come on. They don't need prompts in the stadium to to help them create the experience. And I think that's what's been so amazing about, I think, the brand we've we've attempted to create and how the experience is manifested. It's about enabling all these amazing things to happen and it's about giving an environment where a fan can come in, almost feel like they're dressing their home. They're coming in, they're putting up the banners and the T4s and then they're singing for 90 minutes and they're singing songs that they want to sing. Again, not prompted. The video board's not telling them what to do. They're singing songs that mean something to them, that hopefully will inspire their team, that'll inspire their team to victory, and are also very reflective uh, of the city within which they operate. So I think a great recent example is in Atlanta. The supporter group there is, is called Footy Mob. And they're called Footy Mob because they take their cues from the hip-hop scene and the trap scene. And they, they, sing, they sing hip-hop songs that they've converted into soccer chants. And that is something you, you won't get anywhere else in the world. And it, and, it, and it emphasizes that idea of our soccer and that kind of campaign platform that, that, that 
everything drives back to that idea of creating our version of the global game and actually our version of the game that's unique wherever you might be in North America. So related to that, one of the things that I've always really respected with MLS is the dedication to the youth sports and to carrying that next tradition and community involvement. But it also feels very organic that mm. happens from that grassroots nature. How much of that is driven by the local club versus how much it is something that the national organization is really encouraging and pushing? That's a real local play. So our clubs and, you know, we're in Cincinnati, so I think that's a good reference point. They have academies. They have academies for kids who are of an elite status that potentially you're going to have a pathway through to play for the first team. And what an amazing story that is for fans. When we are looking to create a factory, and we're looking to create an engine by which we can develop talent, create a pipeline. If you're a fan and you've got a local, you've got a local player, we know through research that is an incredible catalyst for fandom. The fact that you can get behind the local person, that local hero, is such a powerful notion. So locally, our clubs are doing a lot on the elite side, but they're also doing a lot on the more the amateur or the more the casual side. So they're creating training camps. And they're creating, whether it's in the school holidays or it's more consistent, they're going out in the communities and they're hosting coaching sessions and coaching camps. And they're getting kids into this sport from the age of five, six year old. And they're creating a brand connection at that local level on the ground. So it's, it's, it's a really powerful notion. If we, can, if we can get that right and we can develop the next generation of talent. Um, I mentioned it this morning, but the US will create its version of a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo. It is coming because the work that we are doing through our clubs, the infrastructure, the academies, the way that we're thinking about talent development is incredibly important. And from a marketing side, what a story, what a hook, what a handle that becomes. Because when you get those local heroes coming through that you can talk about, it's just an incredible thread for the local fans to to get behind. Continuing down that path of local... You know, one of the things that's really interesting is the embrace of local brands combined with the national partners and national sponsors. So how do you think about that blend of the national partners, but in a club bringing in their unique individual parts of their community, you know, here in Cincinnati, for instance, Braxton Brewing with FC versus bouncing with Heineken as the national brand? Yeah, that's a great question. It's important to us, not just I've talked a lot about the consumer space and our fans at large, but it's also important to tell our story and to connect the right way to the commercial community. And I think with many categories, there is a way to carve up the category into national and local sponsors because we want the club to be able to have conversations with local partners where it makes sense, to bring in incredible local brands that are meaningful in their communities because they are a reflection Mm -hmm. of the city at large and, and, and consumers are attracted to the fact that there's a local brewery that is brewing in the Cincinnati way that wants to be a supporter of the club. And then as a result, those fans want to see that product. They want to see that product in the experience of going to an FC Cincinnati game. So it's really important for us to be able to balance that national and local story, not just at the consumer level, but also at the business level as well, to enable the business and to give the business an opportunity to, to, to join the movement and to be part of the growth story around this sport. So we just talked a lot about the local side. Now let's blow it back out to the global. Mm. Um, In, you know, just a few years, we're going to be hosting the World Cup here in North America. First time ever, three separate 
countries are going to be hosting it. Yeah. And also the first time since MLS cre- was created that the World Cup returns to North America. How are you already starting to prepare and think about the global focus being back on North America in a few years? Yeah, it's going to be an amazing, amazing moment for uh, for anyone who's involved in soccer, but broader than that, anyone who's interested in um, sports, because when there's a big event like World Cup, the sports fans come out. It's that kind of national pride that that people have. And, and one of the things we think about a lot when we craft our storytelling and some of the content, some of the ways to connect with fans, is this intersection between the club game and the country side of things. And I think soccer is in such a unique position to embrace both because as a fan of the game, you're able to feed that national pride you might have multiple times in a year. You know, there's like eight, nine, ten FIFA windows where the national team plays. There are multiple national team competitions. The World Cup is obvious, obviously the, the, the pinnacle of global soccer, but there are regional competitions. We've got CONCACAF Nations League. We've got CONCACAF Gold Cup. We've got Olympics and Olympic qualifying. Uh, we've got multiple ways for consumers to connect to the country side of things. And as a fan of the game, what we found is most of our fans are also fans of a country. And if you're in the other, if you're followers of the other domestic sports in the U.S., you can get a national moment every four years with the Olympics, you know, the hockey team and the basketball team. But we have this constant dialogue. And the ultimate accolade for a player is to get called up for their national team. So these two things go together in a way that they don't in the other sports. So we look at club and country almost as, as one side of the same coin and how we work with the Federation, U.S. Soccer, on this side of the border, how we work with the Canadian Soccer Federation. We are growing the importance of the game together and it drives back to fans having a national team they follow and a club team that they follow. And it goes back to our players who want to be the best that they can, which is representing their country. And it's only how do we tell that story? So how do we infect the broader population who are passionate about sports, big moments, and and being nationally proud to connect that back to what we do every single day. And I think that's the job that we have to do with the World Cup. But one of the things I would say about the World Cup, it is going to be the biggest, most impressive sporting event I think the world has will ever have seen at that point. There's going to be 46. It's, it's the expanded World Cup. The next one in Qatar is going to be 32. It's going to be 46 teams. It's going to be an unbelievable celebration of what the beautiful game means to people. But we're going to be able to articulate that in the US and Canadian version and Mexican version of what that means. And what a powerful lever that is to really have a continued story with a consumer and connect in different ways. As someone in the office said it to me, I thought it was a, a really uh, interesting way of putting it. I remember the, the day that it was announced that the US, uh, the, the, the US Canadians and the Mexicans had, had, won the, had won the bid. Someone came up and he said, he said, David, this is this is like working at Google on day one, knowing it's going to be a success. It's an incredible jolt to the arm and something that we we quite frankly have to take advantage of. And we will. And it's uh it's a wonderful thing for the sport in this country. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. I know you have a busy day ahead of you. So really appreciate it. And thank you for everything MLS has done uh, here with FC Cincinnati and Uh, the community as a whole. And you just make sure you buy season tickets when the new stadium opens and keep supporting that team. Of course. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.